0: invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're starting a sermon series on Ephesians. The title of the series is called Identity in Christ. Ephesians is a wonderful epistle from the Apostle Paul. Um, It has a lot to do with who we are, who we are in Christ in, in particular. It has a lot to say about how the church is constituted and what the church is here for has a lot to say about who Christ is and then who we are in Him. Just a few words of introduction about this passage. Um, It's sort of the introductory part of of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians identifies its author as the Apostle Paul. It identifies the recipients as the believers in Ephesus. Uh, Although there's really nothing in this letter that's specific to Ephesus, unlike for example, the letter to the uh, the Galatians or the the two letters that we have that survive to the letters to the people in the churches of Corinth, those letters have very specific advice about local problems or local issues. In Galatians, it was a a very local uh, misunderstanding of how grace worked. In Corinthians, it was a very local problem of how fellowship was happening or how dysfunctional the church was being. This letter to the Ephesians doesn't really touch on any particular problem or issue in the church in Ephesus. And so it's thought by some scholars that the one copy that we have of it has the name of Ephesians on, but this was generally a letter that was sent to many churches in Asia Minor. And what they would do is they would um, get it, and they would read it in their church, and then they would send it on to the next church in Asia Minor, and then, so they would change the top and say, okay, next to the people in Galatia, next to the people in, in this other part of, the, of, of where they were, what's modern-day Turkey. And so, in that sense, this letter is a more general epistle. It touches on larger issues than just local problems. And for that reason, we can all the more look at this letter and say, this is a letter for us, because it's for the church in general. It's for the, and it's about the nature of God in Christ, without too much reference to any Particular local issues or problems. So that has huge implications for us as believers that this could just as well have been written to the believers in Los Altos, the believers in Mountain View, and we could read it that way. So, with that introduction, the reading from Ephesians, and I'm going to read all of 1 through 14. Ephesians 1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would add your blessing to it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love a good mystery. Growing up, my mom used to watch PBS, and sometimes the Agatha Christie shows would come on, Miss Marple, Hercule Poirot. You remember those? You know how those stories go. You're watching, and you're trying to pay attention because you know that every now and then something is going to show up in the storyline that you ought to pay attention to because it's going to come up in the end, and they're going to look back at it and go, well, that was the moment when we figured something out, like Miss Marple would figure it out. Problem with, with me, I would, I would never, it was always the wrong thing. I was always like, oh, that must be it. No, I finally figured out with Murder She Wrote with Angela Lansbury. Remember that show? It was a very simple formula. The second person you met was always the person. It was just, it was just. So I just started doing that. I just ignored every other clue, and I just said second person, and most of the time it was true. Um, but you're supposed to pay attention. And at the end of all these mysteries, everyone—have you noticed? Everyone is in this room. They just somehow got gathered there. Either they got called in by Miss Marple or they, the police brought them there. Somehow, some force draws them all to this one room and they're all looking around. And Miss Marple is slowly unfolding this story. But she doesn't tell you right away, it was him. No. She goes back and says, well, remember back then when this happened. And then, if you're watching it on TV, you get this helpful flashback, you know. Oh, there. It and they show you the exact same thing, but in maybe in greater detail. And you go, okay, there. And then sometimes that's a false trail. That's sometimes Miss Marple uses that to exclude somebody. So it couldn't have been them. Or these details keep coming and finally it comes to a head. And then at this moment, there's this great, you know, the whole reason why you're watching for this revelation of the mystery. The mystery has been resolved. It's been revealed. And now we have it. People were interested in mysteries when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians. There were a lot of other competing religions to Christianity and Judaism at the time. And several of them were what are known as mystery religions. The whole basis of those religions was an idea that there was a mystery inside the religion. You would only get to know that mystery by putting in your time with that group. The longer you stayed with it, the the more levels you'd be initiated into up and up and up and higher. We have organizations like that even in modern time. The longer you're in it, the more the secret handshakes and mysteries they tell you. They were really popular. But Paul is using the language of mystery, and he does use the word mystery in this passage. He's using the language of mystery to perhaps entice or get the interest of those people who were interested in mystery religions, but he uses mystery in a completely different way. For them, it was about a secret that stays a secret. It never goes outside the bounds of those other churches. It only gets safeguarded longer and longer by more and more people, and then they die and they take it with them. For Paul, the Christian faith had some mysteries, in and what, and what he meant by that was these were things that were not revealed until a particular point in time, much like that mystery, when everybody gets together in that room and it's finally revealed, but after that moment, it's a mystery no longer. It's openly revealed, and so now Paul is saying, unlike those other religions, we're going to tell you all of our mysteries up front. They were mysteries up until a point in time, they were mysteries really up until the time of Christ, until what Christ did became explained by these mysteries. But from that point on, it's all in the open. No secret handshakes, no secret knowledge, none of that. It's all there for everybody to see, and he's going to reveal it to us in this letter. I want you to skip. We're going to go through this verse by verse more or less, um, but I want you to skip ahead to where we find the word mystery in verse 9. You can find it in your Bible. I'm reading from the NIV, the 1984 edition. And this is what it reads, verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Now, instantly, if you're reading that, your ears should kind of go, oh, okay, this is great. There's a mystery somewhere in here. There's something, there's something, going, there's something going on. The Greek word for mystery, this is just going to blow you away, The Greek word, who knows the Greek word for mystery? No, that's okay. The Greek word for mystery is mystery. It's that simple. It's one of those ones where you don't have to be super, like, act like you're smart to know it. We've just borrowed that word completely from Greek. That word mystery in the Greek text is mysterion. And it means several things, but one of them is something that was hidden for a certain amount of time, but after which it was revealed. And that's how Paul means it here. There was a mystery... And this is what it is. You have to read into verse 10 to get to it. Which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. In other words, that moment in the room where Miss Marple reveals it all. And here it is. The mystery is that God wants to bring all things, all things. You can spend a lot of time just thinking about that. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together. Okay, spend some time thinking about that. I'm going to start over. God's purpose, the mystery that's revealed in Christ, is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together, under one head, even Christ. Wow. Wow. This passage is going to be the lens through which we look at the rest of the book of Ephesians as we go through this Ephesians sermon series, is this verse right here. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This is a pivot point even in this passage today. The things that come before it are things that have happened in the past. A few things that come after it are things that are going to happen in the future. The mystery that gets revealed here in verse 10 is the point at which everything changes in the world, in which, and, it, and it happens right when Christ did his ministry. I'm going to ask you now to go back to verse 3. I'm going to go through it more or less verse by verse, but I want you to imagine that you're in that room with Miss Markle. Some English mansion somewhere in the countryside, it might be dark outside, candles all throughout the room. Everybody's there in tuxedos, or uh, dinner dresses, kind of wondering. And the the guilty person is feeling a little nervous. Is it all going to be revealed? Everybody else is a little confused. What's going on? Why are we here? And imagine that Paul is now taking us back in time with these flashbacks and telling us what has already happened, clues that are pointing us forward. Look at verse 3. It says this. It says that you have been blessed. I would think of this as like the candlestick in the parlor, you know. Uh, You've been blessed with spiritual blessings, not necessarily material ones. You've, you've, everything that you need for the spiritual journey that you're on has already been supplied to you. There's a clue that you've received already. And notice that this is in the past tense already. Paul is talking about something that's already happened for people who are believers, so there's an assumption here that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've already received something, which is a spiritual blessing. Verse 4, if you're a follower of Christ, that means that you've also been chosen a long time ago. To me, this is like the letter opener in the study. What does it mean? Well, we'll find out later on. There's just clue pointing us forward. What does that mean? Again, we, there's so much in here to look at. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before, before the creation of the world. Wow. Um, I know there's some physicists in this room and some people who are really into science, and I want you to think, and even if you don't understand all that stuff, we all understand this idea of, of how science believes that the universe began. And, and on, quite honestly, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you if it happened, I don't think any, I mean, in a way we were all there, I'm going to get to that, but I wasn't there to see it happen, but I'm going to go with what science says about it, just, just as an example. If there was a singularity in the universe a long, long time ago, and by a singularity I mean that all the matter and all the energy in the entire universe was compressed into one tiny, tiny space. Physicists, have I gotten that right? That's the singularity. There's only one of them. And that God was holding that together with his mighty power. Imagine how much power it takes for God to hold that together. And that it flew apart at the moment that he said, let there be light. And at that moment, a violent eruption of matter, energy, and light. And it flew apart at incredible speeds. But in that flying apart, at the creation of everything, it already contained the designs of you and me, each of us individually. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Do you believe that you were created before the creation of the world, that God designed you before the creation of the world? I'm going to read it again, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. How could God know from this tiny thing from which all our universe, we believe, has come that God had chosen each of us to be here this morning, to be born, to live and breathe in this world? That's amazing, okay? Let's, I mean, let's just, wow, right? That's just crazy. But we believe that about God. God is that powerful. God is that amazing. God is that incredible. You know, what's a lot easier to believe is deism. Deism is what a lot of the founders of our country believe, this idea that God created the universe, and that was pretty much exhausting for him, so he just just let it go. He's like, all right, okay, we're done with that. I kind of think of it as like he was a researcher, and he'd come back to a petri dish from time to time and see what mold was growing it and say, ah, well, that's interesting. Okay, well, let's leave it. We don't believe in that kind of God. We believe in a God who held it together, who designed us and chose us before it all flew apart, and that he continues to watch us and live with us and want to be in our presence and wants us to be in his presence and is totally involved in our lives. And we're talking about billions of people on this planet, and it doesn't count all the other things that God keeps running in this whole universe. It's really astounding what we believe about God. It's really unbelievable. I don't think you could convince anybody of this. You just can only grasp this sort of thing by faith, and we're going to get to that too. God is amazing. He doesn't look at us as a a petri dish growing mold. He looks at us as his beloved children. And it says that you were chosen from the beginning of the creation, from before creation, to be holy and blameless in his sight. There was a reason for this. And the reason was to be in relationship with God. Now, notice it says holy and blameless, which is great. Again, Paul is saying something that's already happened. He's talking in the past tense. He chose you to be holy and blameless. That means when he's speaking to Christians, he's speaking to people who he believes are already holy and blameless in God's sight. You have to be holy and blameless if you're going to be in the presence of God. That's something we believe about God. If you're in the presence of God and you're not holy and blameless, you're just going to vanish in a puff of smoke and ash and fires. It's going to be a mess. You don't want to go to God's presence unless you're holy and blameless and pure. Now, it's interesting that his goal was not purity. His goal was not our holiness. No. The goal of following Christ is not to become pure. It's not to stop... uh, Smoking and chewing and going with Girls Who Do and going to R-rated movies. That's not the goal of Christianity. It's not the goal of following Christ. The goal for God was to bring us into His presence so that He could have a relationship with us. But the only way God could do that was to make us pure and holy and blameless. And so purity, holiness, blamelessness, those are all side effects of God's ultimate goal of bringing us into His presence to have a relationship him he makes us pure so that that can happen as we transition from verse four to five we see that this occurs because love he predestined us to, uh, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ if Paul going back to our room full of uh, suspects or potential suspects and Paul talking I'd say this is like the moving what you know every every crime has to have a motive. Every crime has to have this primal moving force that made it happen. Paul is saying that all this happened because of God's love for us. It wasn't his disinterested, let's see what happens to them. It wasn't um, that he thought it would be really cool to create us and show his friends. It wasn't that. It was that he loved us. He loved us from before the creation of this world. He wanted then to make us pure and holy so that he could Bring us into his presence and be with him. And this goes even deeper. Um, as, being, as part of being drawn to God, then, we're incorporated into his family. Uh, and we read this, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters, you could say, his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. Back then... Um, when you had a family, they had something called patrilocal marriage, patrilocal uh, social constructs, which meant that generally the, the family congregated around the father and the family. And so if you had a daughter and she got married to somebody else, she would leave and go and live with that family and, and live close to her husband's parents. But if you had a son and he got married, their daughter from that other family would come and they would live close to his father and mother. And often what would happen is a family there would have a house and they didn't want to all be in the same room. And so when a son was getting married and was bringing a daughter into the family, they would add a room onto the house so that the young couple could have a little bit of privacy and be there alone and then eventually... And so you can imagine that houses got bigger over time. But that's how families worked back then is that they, they added rooms to houses. Jesus uses this imagery in John when he says, in my father's house there are many rooms and I'm going there to pre- prepare a place for you. This idea is that we are being adopted. It's adoption language. We're adopted into God's family and not, in a way, it's actually by marriage. When we get to later on in Ephesians, there's this imagery of marriage and the church being the bride of Christ. Very interesting. We're going to get to that. Uh, you can tell I'm excited about this series. But the the um, when you get brought into God's family as an adopted child, he prepares a place for you in his house. You become part of his household, you come into his presence, and this you can come into you can leave your little room and go into God's big room, and you can come into his presence as a child goes in to to see his father or his mother and have that loving, intimate relationship with him. Again, notice that we're still in the past tense here. Paul is still talking about all the things that have already happened for Christians. We've already been blessed with spiritual blessings. We've already been chosen. We've already been made holy and blameless. We've already been adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. All this he's talking to people have already happened for them. Now look at verses 6, 7, and 8. And we have this word basically a cascade of words from Paul. He's very excited here. The final details of the case are beginning to come out. There's a lot that's going on, and Paul is super excited. Uh, He's got these beautiful words like grace and forgiveness and redemption and love, and he likens these to immense treasures, God's riches, that he's willing to give out. But who does he give them to? These, these These are things that are, to use another Bible image, about the man in the field, if you know this story, if a man finds a treasure in a field, he goes and buries it again, and then he sells everything he has so he can buy that field and have this treasure. That's how great this treasure is. But here we find that they're given to us freely and lavishly and out of the riches of God. Paul uses these, these words of giftedness and giving, and I just love that word, lavishly. Uh, it's, it's lovely. Verse 8, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. God lavishes grace and forgiveness and redemption on us as out of the storehouse of his riches and he gives us all of those things including wisdom and understanding. What a gift. So, this is all these things have already happened. As a believer you already have all these things you you possess. The riches of grace, of forgiveness, of redemption. They're all yours. Now, we get to verse 9 again, that pivot point. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And again, verse 10, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ And again, it's not a secret just for its own sake. It's not a secret to have a secret handshake. It's not a secret mystery so that you can have a club that's exclusive. Actually, it's quite the opposite. The secret is that things that were apart are being pulled together. That old distinctions between races, between all sorts of different kinds of people, between God and man are all being taken away and everything is being brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the lens through which we look at this rest of this verse, uh, the rest of this book, pardon me. I'm excited about this. There's a lot going on here. Um, and I want you to keep coming back Sunday after Sunday because we're going to explore a little bit more. I want to give you a glimpse of what we've already heard and then I want to talk about what we're going to hear in the weeks ahead. Um, And so Paul, just to finish up that other metaphor, Paul has now finished the crime drama in this room. He's saying the mystery is solved, but it wasn't a murder. The mystery is solved. It was that Christ is going to bring, God is going to bring all things together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And instead of people going home going, ah, okay, I should have paid more attention to some of the details. I guess that mystery is over. We've solved it, and I can just file it away. Paul's saying, no, there's a future component to the solution to this mystery. There's a future that is going to look very differently. But I'll, I'm going to give us some flashbacks now of already what we've seen. We've gotten a glimpse of this. Who are we? This has to do with identity. We're people that have been blessed spiritually. Who are we? We are the people who God designed before creation a long, long time ago. Who are we? We are people who have been purified So that we can come into God's presence and live in his household as adopted children. Who are we? We We're people who have received the lavish riches of God's redemption, forgiveness, and grace through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about what all this means. How does this project us forward? And Ephesians is going to have a lot to say it's gonna, we're going to learn about what it means that all things, including ourselves, will be drawn to Christ and to find their identity in Christ. We're going to see how this guides our interactions with people who are not yet in Christ. It has a lot to say about that. There's a lot in Ephesians about how this guides our personal conduct in the body of faith and in our own families. And we're going to see how our faith is intimately tied up with this beautiful and, blah, and flawed institution that you're sitting in right now, the church. The church is talked about in Ephesians. The church is called the bride of Christ. The church has an important mission in this world that God desperately wants to use to reach people who don't know Him yet, to bring them into His presence. So, come back and hear more. Listen online if you want. And I hope I've, we've seen enough clues that The mystery is still there's still more mysteries in here in fact paul uses the word mystery several more times in ephesians and we'll we'll uncover a few of those together but come back um, to hear about how our identity in christ is going to work itself out in our personal lives in our interactions with other believers in our interactions with non-believers and in our interactions uh, with god our father and his son jesus christ let's pray heavenly father thank you for your word Thank you for your servant, Paul, who sent this so long ago to the people in Ephesus. Help us to find our true identity in you. And we ask it in Jesus' name.